great to be with you today. Thanksgiving was a fantastic time, and uh, the season of Christmas is upon us, as you can see. And we're looking forward to uh, this that time of year, celebrating Christ and his birth, and just giving him, like that song said, all the glory, glory to his name. Praise the Lord for that. Well, thank you for coming back here today and being in your place, and I know that just that alone encourages pastor, knowing that you are in your place and we're ready to hear God's word today, and I do appreciate, once again, the opportunity to come before you and handle God's word. So let's do that today. Let's open up our Bibles to Genesis chapter number 22. Genesis chapter number 22. Today we'll be reading a familiar passage, one that you have maybe read yourself before or heard uh, preached before, but I hope that as we come to this passage, you would look at it with a fresh set of eyes. Genesis chapter number 22. We'll be reading down through verse number 10. And so if you would follow along with me, I'll read this portion out loud and you follow along in your copy of God's word. The Bible says, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and the lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and the knife, and the two of them went up together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide him for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. This passage speaks to the faith that Abraham had. In the midst of a test that God would give to Abraham, Abraham exhumed immense faith. The title of the message today is this, a mature faith to follow, or a mature faith to model. When we we look at our faith and we say, what do I want my faith to look like? When I say, what do I want to model my faith after? Abraham is an extremely perfect example of what we should model our faith after. And that's what we're going to look at today. Why don't we pray? Why don't we ask God to bless his word and then we're going to dive into this passage together. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you so much that you have given us your word. You've given us truth. And God, you've given us this passage today to learn how to model our faith after someone who did a tremendous job in their test. God, I pray that your word would be powerful today. Your Holy Spirit would move God, I pray that you would use me to be clear in communicating your message. 
I pray that hearts would receive your word today, and Lord, that you would do something to change us into your image. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Tiger Woods is a tremendous athlete. Some would say he was one of the greatest to ever play the game of golf. His statistics are amazing. He has won 82 PGA Tours, 12 international wins, 15 majors. He has successfully defended his title 24 times in the PGA Tour. In 2000, he held the lowest scoring average in the PGA Tour history. He's done some incredible things. In fact, he is one of five players to have won all four professional major championships in his career, known as the Career Grand Slam. And he was the youngest to do so. Not only that, but those four that he won, he won back-to-back in a row, and that achievement now is known as the Tiger Slam. Tiger Woods has done some amazing things in his careers, and like I said, is probably known to be one of the best players in the game of golf. And so if you wanted to play golf, if you wanted to become great, what would you do? You would take a look at Tiger Woods and say, he's already gone through that game. He has proven himself well. And so I want to take myself and say, okay, well, how does he do what he does? What club does he use in this scenario? How is his swing? You've seen this done maybe online where they take his swing and they slow it down and they break it down and say, look at the straight back and look at the arms. They don't break and look at this angle here and they analyze his swing and, and they say, if you want to be like Tiger Woods, if you want to have this swing, if you want to have this career, do what he does. That's exactly what you and I are going to do today with Abraham. Abraham is going to go through a test. He's going to be proven by God himself directly, and he's going to pass with flying colors. And so as you and I look at his life and say, wow, what an amazing faith. Let's model our faith after him. And I tell you this, a faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. A faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. You you are given opportunities to exercise your faith when we come up and face a test or trial. You say, oh, I I don't like trials. I don't like tests. Those tests are the exact opportunity to to flush out and to, to strengthen and to build up your faith. That's why we have them. A faith that can't be tested cannot be trusted. So as we look at Abraham and his obedience and his faith today, we're going to observe that. So I guess the question will come, why Abraham? Well, Abraham... This test is a a huge test. It's an immense test, a testing of of Abraham's faith and his trust in God and his actual physical obedience. So he's going to go through this test. We're going to see in just a moment, he's going to pass this test with flying colors, a test directly from God. But then also in Hebrews chapter 11, God inserts him into what we call the hall of faith, effectually. This is a chapter in the New Testament where God goes through and he, he admires and marks people of great faith throughout the generations. People who have trusted God, even when it didn't seem like it should work out, they trusted him anyways and accomplished great feats because of their faith, by faith, through faith. You see that all through Hebrews chapter 11. Abraham is given a large portion in that chapter. And so who better to learn faith from than from Abraham. That's what we're going to do today. Abraham comes on the scene in Genesis chapter 12 where God comes to him and says, Abraham, I want you to pick up your things and I want you to move to a 
a place I'm going to tell you. Where, God? I'm not going to tell you yet. Just move. And he shows faith. He gets up and he moves. God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to establish a covenant with you. And I'm going to promise you three things. I'm going to promise you a land, a, a seed, and a blessing. A land, the land that was given to all of Israel, it was promised to them. He's going to give them that. He's, or promise them that. He promises them a seed that you will have many generations. You will have a nation. And then he promises them a blessing. He's going to bless every family in the universe. How? How? Well, the blessing is through Jesus Christ, the offer, the gift of salvation. And he promises Abraham these things, and as he does, Abraham believes him. God visits Abraham and promises him a son. He says, hey, I know you've not had a son, you've had no children, and so I'm going to promise you a son, and that's going to be able to flesh out all of these three promises. Abraham believes him, and God delivers on his promise. He gives him a son. That son's name is Isaac who we just read about just a moment ago. That's where Abraham comes. The amazing thing is, as Abraham learned, is that we can trust God. We can have faith in God that he will produce what he says every single time. He will fulfill his promises every single time he gives us a promise. That's an amazing part. That's what faith is. That's trusting God and his word. Some people, some people take faith and they try, to, they try to confuse it a little bit. Say, okay, well, faith, and they try to give this long explanation, this long definition, and you just got to have faith, and you got to be a person of faith. You've heard that before, maybe? Oh, well, I just, I just have faith. I know this is going to work out because I have faith. Listen, let me be very clear today. Faith is not some proverbial carrot that you can't ever reach that's in front of you. Faith is not just something you just have. Faith is very, very particular. It is faith in an object. And as a Christian, our object is God's word. Can I give you a very concise definition of faith? Taking God at his word. That's it. In the cliche sense that when he says something, you can trust him, but also in the literal sense, the literal sense that he's given you a word and you can hold his word to be true. You can hold this entire thing to be a promise. This is a book of promise. And so if God said it, it's true, and you can believe it. That's simply what faith is. And that's what we, we're going to learn today, how to model our faith. God will always come through on his promises. His promises are in his book. So listen, find out what he says. Get in your Bible. Read. See what he promises. See the, see the comfort. See the, the provision he promises. See how he's going to come and lift you up and guide you and lead you and, and keep you. And all those things are in his word. And you can claim those as you get in and find them. He fulfills all of his promises. God is not man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? God will fulfill everything he says. The question is not will he keep his word. The question is, do we have faith that he will? Our obedience proves our faith. Specifically in this passage, our obedience is going to prove the maturity of our faith. So that begs the question, do you have mature faith? That's a question that only you can answer. 
Do you have a mature faith? If obedience proves our, the maturity of our faith, do I have a mature faith? Well, hopefully today as we look at Abraham and, and we, we dive through this passage, you're going to be able to see, where is my faith? Is it mature? Is it, is, it, is it comparable to Abraham? What did Abraham do that maybe I should be doing different? That's what we're going to do today. It's going to be an amazing time. This passage is full, full of things that we can look at. Today, when we look at Abraham, though, what we're going to observe is, is what was not found in Abraham's faith. So that's kind of. We're going to look at what wasn't in his faith. Oh, no, no, no. It's very important. Maybe you have seen before, uh, there's a show on Netflix called Our Planet. It's pretty cool. I know I'm a, I'm a nerd. I like, to, I like to get information. And, and so they go through and teach about the planet, the animals, how they do life, and how they do their cycles. And all this. It's crazy. It's really amazing. And I was sitting there watching it with my wife one day. And I said, you know what's crazy is how do they get these shots? How do they find like these, these little animals that all of a sudden they're like, they, they shoot their tongue out and grab this grasshopper. They're like, how did you catch that? Did you sit there for how long? And so I looked it up. You know that they spent over four years making our planet, four years to make this film. They filmed for 3,500 days. We're not talking hours, days that they filmed. All of this brought down into eight hours. What they had to do was leave out a lot. In our faith, we're going to have to leave out a lot. And so today, we want to see three distinct actions that are not present in a mature faith. Three distinct actions that are not present in a mature faith. Let's look at the first one here. A mature faith, number one, does not wait. A mature faith does not wait. Look at verses one through four. It says, now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him. And Isaac, his son, a mature faith does not wait. Abraham doesn't wait because he has a, a spirit of surrender already. A spirit of surrender. I see him in three ways he surrenders to God in these, four, in these verses. The first way he surrenders is in himself. Did you see it in verse number one? He says, he says, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He was exposing himself open in any way God here I am. I'm not hiding from you. I'm not trying to run away. I'm not trying to do my own thing. God, I'm here for you. What do you want? And God says, hey, I have something for you to do. The first thing in our faith, you have to surrender yourself and say, God, I'm not, I'm not going to hide. I'm not going to try to pull away. There are some people who did that once. Do you remember them in Genesis? Abraham? Not Abraham, Adam and Eve? They come and, and they eat of the fruit that they were told not to eat. And all of a sudden they realized that they were naked and they went and they hid themselves. And God called for them. And they were hidden. Do you realize that you and I cannot hide our sin? As much as we want to, as much as we want to hide from God, this faith comes when we expose and we surrender ourselves. And he says, Abraham, he says, here I am. I tell you this, there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him who we, we must give an account. We cannot hide ourselves and we cannot hide our sin. We are all open and exposed to God. 
a surrender. Abraham says, here I am. I'm surrendered. First of all, he surrenders himself. But secondly, he surrenders his love. Look at verse number two. He says this. He says, then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Of course, somebody would, would love their child, but this was different. You see, those three things that God promised Abraham, made a covenant with him, all three of those things required something called an heir, a son. You have to have a son to have a nation. You have to have a son to have people. You have to have a son to have a blessing that Jesus Christ would eventually come through. So, so all these things required a son, but here's the problem. Abraham had no children, no son, except for Isaac. One son. And God knew that he loved that son. And the test that Abraham was going to go through is God was going to come to him and say, hey, I know you love this thing, but will you give up this thing that you love for me? Do you trust me? Do you have faith in me with the thing that you love? And that's the question I think for you and me today. The thing that we hold near and dear to us that we love so much, to sacrifice, to give, if God says, I want that, are you willing to give that to him? God did that for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God gave for you. Are you willing to give for him? You know, it's a very scary thing that if we love something more than God, it controls us. The Bible says in... Uh, in 1 John, it says, do not love the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You say, you know what, I would never hold on to something more than I'd love God. I wouldn't do that. The love of the, love of the things may not seem as important to me. Well, I tell you what, in the life of Paul, he experienced this with Demas. Demas held on to the things of the world. When Paul writes back to Timothy, he says, Demas hath forsaken me, loving this present world. What do you love so much that you're not willing to let God test you in? Sacrifice. He surrendered first himself. He surrendered his love. But secondly, he surrendered his time. You see in the next verse here, verse number three, it says, So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey. He left early in the morning. He didn't hesitate. He didn't wait. He didn't pause. He said, when God expects something of me, my faith is so strong in him. A faith that does not wait, a mature faith, says as soon as God asks, I'm going to do something. You know, surrender is, not, surrender is not a process, is it? Surrender is immediate. As soon as you throw up that white flag, you're expecting, hey, I give up. Hey, don't shoot. Hey, I'm done. I surrender. It's an immediate thing. It's not a process. And that's what God expects for you and me. Is that when we have faith and we say, God, I trust you. God, I surrender to you. It should be immediate. As soon as God says, I want you to do that. Look, Abraham rose up early in the morning. Took care of what he needed. Got the donkey. Got the wood. Got his two servants. Took Isaac, his son. And says, hey, God wants us to do something. We're going to do it right now. Man, I'm sure glad Jesus didn't wait. Jesus did not hesitate when it was time for him to act. He didn't. He acted immediately. It says, he took the 12 aside and said to them, behold, we go up to Jerusalem 
And all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished, for he will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and insulted and spit upon, and they will scourge him and kill him, and the third day he will rise again. Look, as soon as Jesus, it was time for him to act, he responded. In the light of being scourged and killed on a cross, he said, I will respond when it's time to respond. I'm sure glad that he didn't wait. I hope that you don't wait either. I hope that you don't wait. When God asks you to do something, to step out in faith, that you don't wait. God's calling today, maybe in some people in here, to respond. To respond to the gift of salvation. That God has died on a cross and offered this gift that, hey, when you are a sinner and lost and without hope, he's offering you a way of, to, to wash away your sins, to, to spend eternity in heaven with him. And he says, when should you accept that gift? Now. Now is the time to act. Don't wait. Right now. 1 Corinthians says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. God expects us to respond immediately. A mature faith does not wait. I remember in college I, I had a car that was always breaking down. Maybe you know what that's like. I had, didn't have money for a car. This car was given to me. And uh, I, I worked on this car, and I, I was doing the brakes one time, and my parents actually were in town. They got a hotel and were visiting me, so I took my car to the hotel, and I had changed the brakes, and I jacked the car up on one of those little bottle jacks. You've seen those before. Man, those things are so dangerous. I jacked it up on a bottle jack, and as I was taking off the brakes, my dad popped his head out and said, hey, you don't have any jack stands. Those are the things that are safety. If they fall, it falls on the jack stands. You don't have any jack stands. Why don't you put your tire under the car, and if it falls, then it can land on the tire. And I'm like, oh, Dad, I'm, just, I'm, I'm trying to get this done. I'm trying to hurry. i get back. And so I'm trying to do this, and I thought, okay, fine, I'll, I'll do it. And I stopped, and I went and grabbed the tire. I slid it under the car. And I came back, and I sat down, and I started working on the brakes again. It was just a few moments later, I heard a noise. That bottle jet tip, tip, the car fell. My legs were under the car because I was working on the brakes, and had I not put the tire under there, my legs would have been crushed. And that was a surreal moment. My heart was beating. I was like, oh no, dad was right. I'm glad I acted immediately. Man, had I waited, I may not, may not be walking today. A mature faith does not wait. Not only that, but a mature faith, number one, it doesn't wait, but a mature faith does not worry. It doesn't worry. Abraham here doesn't worry because he's confident these next verses that we're going to look at, you're going to see a confidence in Abraham that you may question and say, where does that come from, Abraham? Like, you've just been asked to, to offer your son as a burnt offering. How can you be so confident? And you're going through with it. You rose up early. You're not waiting. You're going. You're acting on it. Isaiah 41 says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my right hand. Proverbs says, do not be afraid of sudden terror nor of trouble. For the wicked, when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Abraham had a confidence in God. That's why he could have a mature faith that didn't worry. He didn't worry. Well, let's look in these verses. Verse number five, we see a confidence in unknown results. Verse 5 says this, it says, And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and the lad and I will go up yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. 
Abraham has taken a three-day journey. No doubt that journey was, was filled with conversation back and forth with his son. On those three-day journey, he comes to the place where he looks and says, there's the place. Okay, servants, you're going to stay here with the donkey. Me and Isaac will go up, but look at the confidence. And we will come back to you. Abraham, didn't you hear God? He said, you're going to go and sacrifice your son. Sacrifice a burnt offering. And you're going to come back? Abraham had a confidence that was not worried at all. He had a confidence in unknown results. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that commendable? How was Abraham so confident? Can I tell you this? It's because of faith. You say, wow, what an answer. No, 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 you didn't hear me. Remember what faith is. Faith is a confidence taking God at his word. And Abraham had faith, so he could be confident because of his faith. So you say, what do you mean? Well, this is what I mean. He took God at his word. If you were to look back at Genesis chapter 17, a couple chapters back, here's what he says. He says, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. Okay, that's the man that he's taking up to sacrifice him. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants. Here was the promise that God gave. I will get a blessing through that man. That one. Not a different one. Not another son. That one. And Abraham says, no problem. God, I don't know what you're going to do on this mountain, but here's what I do know. You already said that you would provide a land seed and blessing through Isaac. And so it doesn't matter what happens up on that mountain. It doesn't matter if I sacrifice him with a knife. It doesn't matter if I burn him with fire. It doesn't matter what's going to happen because, listen, I have faith in what you said. Friend, that is faith. Taking God's word and saying, this is true. It's come from God, and I'm going to believe it no matter what. I'm going to believe it even if he tells me to go sacrifice my son. I still believe it. It doesn't matter. There was a confident and unknown results. And you and I can be confident in the same way. If you go to Hebrews chapter 11, like I talked about, he speaks about Abraham. See, how could Abraham be so confident? Well, the Bible doesn't always do this, but this time he gives us an insight to what Abraham was thinking. Did you wonder that right now? Man, what is, what is Abraham thinking? Man, he's, he's supposed to take a son and go up to the mountain and sacrifice him. And what, but he thinks he's going to come back. What was he thinking? Let's read it. Here's what he says. Ready? It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac and he who had received the promise of offering upon his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac you shall be, your seed shall be called. Concluding. So he says, okay, so that was a promise. Abraham knew that it was going to come through Isaac. And here's what he's Here's what went through Abraham's head, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. Abraham, what's going on in your mind? He says, doesn't matter. I'll go up to the mountain. I'll sacrifice the son. I'll act immediately. I won't wait. Why? Because I know that it's going to come through Isaac is the promise. God does kill him up there. Even if I do sacrifice him with a knife, even if I do burn him, it doesn't matter because I know that he's going to have to raise him up because he said he would do something, and God does not break his promise. That's the confidence you and I can have. A mature faith does not worry. He was, no, wasn't worried with the results, unknown results, and he wasn't worried because there was a confident in unknown means. God, how are you going to do this? 
Are you going to raise him up? Are you going to kill me so I don't kill him? Are you going to take him away? Are you, what are you going to do? How are you going to do it? Man, that question comes to us often, doesn't it? God, I know you, I know you are going to pay for these AC units, $100,000. God, I know you're going to advance the church, but how are you going to do it? How, how are we going to pay for it? Where's it going to come from? God, I know that you want this church to reach this city, but how is that going to happen? God, I know you've commanded us to reach the entire world with the gospel, but how are you going to do that? He was confident in an unknown means. Listen, can I tell you this? How it's going to happen, you just have to be obedient in your faith. Abraham was confident in he didn't know how it was going to happen, but he knew that it was going to happen. This is the faith. This is faith. Doubt is not the same as unbelief. God will not bless unbelief, but he reassures doubt with his word. Romans 8, 28, a familiar and popular and, and very, very precious verse says this, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to the purpose. God, I may not understand how your methods are or how you're going to accomplish this or what means you're going to use but I know that you're good. I know that you've promised. I know that you can work out even things that I would look at as bad for good. There was a confidence in Abraham's faith that he didn't know the results, he didn't know the means, but he still trusted and he did not worry. Do you worry? We have, we have a God that is much bigger than your worries that is much bigger than your problems, that is much bigger than your avenue of methods. God, here's what I would do. He's much bigger than that. Have you ever noticed that God usually doesn't do what you would think is the obvious thing to do? Oh, this is, this is some of my favorite stuff. God does things that is not common to you. When he goes to the Red Sea, the children of Israel come to the Red Sea, the Egyptian army is behind him. What would you have done? If you were God and you want to deliver your people out of out of the, this crazy situation, they have mountains on the side, they have a sea in front of them, the Red Sea, they have the army coming to kill them, what, do, what would you do if you were God? Well, if I'm honest, I would, I would turn around and say, okay, we're going through the army, I'm going to defeat the army, we're going to go back out around these mountains, and we'll have another path to get out of here. That's what I would do if I was God, not our God. God says, no, 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 you're not going to go back, you're going to go through the water. Every single time, God usually does what we don't expect. It's an amazing, you go through the stories of the Bible, you'll see this all over, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel, and the lion's den, all these things, it's usually not what you expect. So listen, don't worry when you don't know the results and you don't know the means. Have a mature faith. George Mueller is an amazing man of prayer, amazing man of faith. Early one morning, Mueller came into the long dining room, set for breakfast, but without any food on the table. He prayed this, he said, Dear Father, we thank thee, for what thou art going to give us to eat. While he was praying, there was a knock at the door. It was the baker, unable to sleep last night because he was sure that the Lord wanted him to bake bread for Mueller and the children at the orphanage. As they were getting the bread, Mueller turns around to his children and says this, we not only have bread to eat, but fresh bread God provided. Almost immediately, there came a second knock, and there was a milkman. The milk cart had broken down outside of the orphanage, and since it would be a while before he could fix the cart and the milk would spoil, he offered the milk to the orphanage, providing bread and milk 
when Mueller sat down to a table with no food. Listen, you can have faith in a God, and you don't have to worry. Not only do we have a mature faith that doesn't wait, mature faith that doesn't worry, but lastly here, we have a mature faith that does not waver. Look in verse number um, 9 through 14. In these verses, we're going to see that Abraham does not waver because he was committed. Man, commitment and faithfulness is a vital part of being a Christian. God, God calls for being faithful. Being faithful. This was the final trophy, I think, of, of Paul when he spoke. Right before his death, he says, I have finished my course. I've kept the faith. I've been faithful. I've not given up. I've not slacked. I've not, I've not given in. I've not surrendered to the enemy. Faithfulness. Moreover, is required of stewards that a man be found faithful. God wants faithfulness from you. And a mature faith doesn't waver. It's faithful. Here's a couple areas that Abraham was faithful in. Number one, he was committed to follow through. Look at verse 9. It says this. In verse 9, then he came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there, and he placed the wood in the altar, and he bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood, and Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. He was committed to follow through. God, I don't know how you're going to do it, but here's what I do know. My job is to obey. My job is to trust you enough, to have faith enough to obey. Because that obedience proves the maturity of my faith. He was committed. And I can tell you this, I'm glad that for our sakes, Jesus was committed. Committed to the cross. Committed to die. Committed to rescue you from your sin. Committed to, to pay the price, the ultimate price. Die on a cross, being scourged and beaten, and rise again the third day. He was committed. He didn't look back. He said to them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. When he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. God was committed to dying on that cross to pay for your sins. God, if, you, if you'd let this cup pass, but if not, I'm committed. I will. God is committed to you. Are you committed to God? It's a strong question, isn't it? We, we're committed to a lot of things in life. You think about it. Hey, we're committed to, to games. We're committed to teams. We're committed to jobs. We're committed to marriage. We're committed to a lot of things in life that matter. But we're also committed to things on a high level that really don't matter. We're committed to a team. We'll put off important things to watch the game. We're committed to hobbies. We'll let things slide because we want to do something. We're committed to money. We'll, we'll put aside relationships for, for the sake of work or money. Why aren't we that committed to a Savior who saved us from an eternal hell, eternal damnation, and rescued us and given us a life abundant and free? Wouldn't we be more committed? Doesn't it make sense to a God rather than a team? Man, committed. He was committed. The rich young ruler, if you remember him, he was not committed. Not to Jesus, at least. He was committed to his money. He said, Jesus, what do I have to do to be saved? And Jesus says, well, to answer your question, you technically have to keep the law. He goes, okay, yeah, yeah, I've done that. I've kept the law. He goes, okay, well, if you want to be perfect, if you want to get to heaven by being perfect, which no man can, he says, then you have to go and sell everything and give your money to the poor. 
And he goes, oh, I don't think so. It says he went away. Here's what it says. It says, but when the young man heard what he, the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. He was committed, but he was committed to his possessions. God wants you and I to be committed to him. Not only was he committed, number one, he was committed to his, his faith. He was committed, number two, to his sacrifice. Look at in verse number 12, here's what it says. It says, and he said, in verse number 11, we'll start there. And he stretched out his, or verse 10, and he stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything for him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. He didn't hold anything back. Nothing was held back. Not the son he loved, not his commitment. He gave everything. He gave everything. Jesus gave everything for you. I tell you this, Jesus gave up more than you think. He left a perfect, holy, righteous, glorious heaven to come here, to die for your sins. Here's what the Bible says in, in Philippians chapter 2. It says that he made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being appearance of man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. God didn't hold anything back. He gave up all the, the glories of heaven. He says his reputation all these things, he says, I will sacrifice, I will let those things go because I'm not going to hold anything back from rescuing those people that I love. He didn't hold anything back. Are you? What are you holding back from God? God, you can have all these things, but really this one thing I'm going to keep to myself. Maybe it's a sin. Maybe it's something you want. Maybe it's an area of your life you're not willing to give up, a time, a schedule, a person, a place, a relationship. All these things, God, listen, hey, I'll give you everything except for, I heard this said once, when God died on the cross, he paid for all of you. Did he get everything that he paid for? Yeah, are you holding stuff back? Abram said, for a mature faith that doesn't waver, I'm going to be committed to sacrifice. The last part we look at here today is he was committed to trust. Verses 13 and 14 says this. It says, then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked and beheld behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. Instead of his son. Abraham was committed to trust. God, I trust you. Whatever you want, whatever way you want to do it, whatever the end result is, I'm not going to wait. I'm not going to worry. I'm just going to be committed to trusting you. You know what's amazing? Did you read in this verse? Is that in this verse, he trusted that God provide and the way of provision was a ram. It was caught in a thicket. But did you hear where the ram was? I read this. I thought, God, you're so special. It says that the ram was caught in a thicket behind him. The avenue, the means, the way that God would work out what he has planned was behind him. It was there the whole time. But Abraham didn't see it. Friend, can I tell you this, that you may never see how God is going to work something out, but he is there the whole time working things out on your behalf, 
in your place. When you don't see it, it's there. When you don't see how it's going to work out, it will. When you don't see the means, it is there and God is working out on your behalf. He trusted that God would provide this salvation. He trusted. It was there the whole time. Maybe you're sitting here today saying, you know what, I don't understand all this. I don't understand what it means to be a Christian. I don't understand this this gift of salvation. But can I tell you this, that maybe you're here today and that's what you need to do is take that step of trusting God to say, God, I don't know what's been missing in my life this whole time. I've been looking. Can I tell you, it's been here the whole time. Here's what it is. It's the gift of salvation that, that just like that just like was committed, Abraham was committed, God is committed to you. Enough that he would die on a cross, shed his blood because he loved you and say, I want you to come to heaven with me and I don't want you to suffer in hell. I don't want you to suffer an eternity without me in a place of torment. And so would you come with me? Trust me. The answer is right here. It's been here the whole time and all you need to do is accept it. All you need to do is take it. Maybe that's you here today. And you need to take and accept that gift of salvation. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. A commitment to trust. Thou shalt call upon the name of the Lord. Thou shalt be saved. When you trust God, he reaches out and he scoops you up and your faith is made whole. This is a great question posed. It said this, when does our faith end? When do you have to stop trusting God? When, when does, was, does all these promises no longer need faith? It's not in this life. When our eyes see the glory of God and our faith is made sight, that's when we can say, God, the whole time you were faithful. God, the whole time you were there. God, this whole time I didn't need to wait to obey you. God, this whole time I didn't need to worry. God, this whole time I didn't need to waver. I didn't need to go back and forth. Is this a good idea? I just needed to trust. I just needed to obey. Faith does not wait. It does not waver. It doesn't worry. That's a mature faith that you and I can have. Mature faith that doesn't wait. There was a climber once that was climbing a rock near the top of Mount Washington. There was markings on the spot where a woman climber laid down and died. She was so close to the top that she could almost hit it with a stone, about a hundred steps or more, and she would have reached the shelter, but she didn't know. Disheartened by the storm that was around her, beaten in body and distressed in spirit, she was at the end of her courage. She couldn't even see the step ahead, so she laid down and died only 100 steps from her goal. Can I tell you this, Christian? Do not waver. Stay steady. Stay trusting. Stay trusting God. Be faithful. Because in the end, the results are not up to you. The results are up to God. All we have to do is obey. God, I trust you. I'll obey. God, I trust you. I'll obey. He'll produce the results. He'll produce the means. We just obey. Don't Don't lose your faithfulness. Don't waver. You could be just as close to that answer. Don't stop. So let me ask you this. Does your faith look like this? Is it free from waiting? Is it free from worry? Is it free from from the commitment? And I hope our faith is modeled like Abraham's. 
Jesus was obedient in his faith. The verse that we just read. Obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Faith is not obedience because you know the end. It's obedience because you know him. Don't put your faith in what you know and what you think. Put your faith in him, in his power, in his promises, in his word. Arabian horses go through rigorous training. When you're in the trackless desert of Arabia, your life really is entrusted to your horse. You had better have a well-trained and obedient horse. The trainers require absolute obedience from these horses, and they test them to see if they are completely trained and completely obedient. The final test is almost beyond the endurance of any living thing. The trainers, here's what they will do. They'll force the horses to do without water for many days. And then he turns them loose, and of course, they run for the water. But just as they get to the edge of the water and ready to plunge in and take a drink, the trainer blows his whistle. And the horses who have learned complete obedience, who have been completely trained, will stop and turn around and come back to him. Stand there, thirsty, waiting, quivering, but obedient. And after that trainer has learned, this horse is trained He's obedient. He then gives him the signal to go and drink. God is testing our faith. Whether you're in a test right now or you're going to go through one, he wants to see, are, are, are they going to be obedient to me? Are they going to worry? Are they going to wait? Are they going to, are they going to hold off? Are they going to be hesitant? Are they going to be reserved? Are they going to waver in their faith? Are they, are they going to be committed to the end? Man, I hope that you and I Show God, we trust you because I'm going to obey you no matter what. It's exactly what God wants from you. So is God testing your faith today? How are you doing your test? Is God pleased with your obedience? Have you reached that, that faith that somebody else could model after you? I hope so. I hope so. Why don't we pray and ask God to help us with this area? All heads bowed and all eyes closed. Let me ask a pianist to come. With head bowed and eyes closed, I want to ask you these questions that I, I just posed to you just a moment ago. Are you faithful? Where is your faith? What does it look like? Is it being tested? How are you doing in that test? How is your obedience to God? Is your faith a faith that can be modeled? Maybe today you need to come and ask God for the grace to be faithful. Ask God for the grace to be obedient. Ask God for the grace to have a faith that can be modeled. With head bowed and eyes closed, let's all stand to our feet. I want to give you an opportunity to come and take God at his word. Take God at his word. Trust him. Ask for those things and he will give you that ability, that grace to obey in faith. The altar is open. You can come. Speak with God as he's spoken to you.